Good morning. You're waiting for the beat to drop. Uh, that's what we do here at City Life Church. If you're new with us, my name is Chris Payne. I'm the lead pastor here and super excited to see you, meet you, would love to meet you after service. Uh, one quick correction. We did have to change our newcomers launch. Um, so uh, don't worry about that uh, today. But uh, it, you, if you, you can sign up, you can look at our app and we'll have some more opportunities. If you're new with us, that's just an opportunity for us to get to know you, feed you for free. Jesus uh, did that a lot, uh, but we, we do pay for it. So uh, we want to encourage you to come and get connected with us. So I want to dive right in because we got a lot of work to do. If, you're, if you are new or you haven't been here in a while or maybe you just forgot because it's been a long week. I don't know about you, but I, uh, my son broke his wrist this week. So we're in the the orthopedic and doing all this stuff. It was a crazy kind of week for us. So I get it. What happened last week? I don't know. I've slept since then. Uh, but we are in a series in our church. This is the fifth week in a series we called, I want to believe, but, and uh, we've been really tackling some doubts, some reasons and questions that people have that keep them from kind of going to that next step of really believing and trusting in God or really believing that God is full of love and grace and really taking that plunge with him. Uh, and, and I get it. I mean, I think we've all had questions. And if you haven't had questions, um, then, you know, maybe you're not thinking enough because there are a lot of questions. If you've ever tried to share um, the, the gospel with somebody, or you just read the Bible, you should have questions. You've got thousands of year old texts with a lot of different cultures. There's a lot of questions that come up. And so in this series, we've tackled things like the resurrection. We've talked about proof and actual, or more so evidence for the resurrection. We've tackled good and evil and suffering and what that looks like. Last week, we talked about prayer and how God sometimes doesn't answer our prayers, um, but that shouldn't stop us from praying. And really, let's talk about why he doesn't. You can get any of that information. We have all those sermons on our app. Um, you can download or on the website so that you can kind of connect and get to know where we are. Today, I want to talk to you about something that, that's been on my heart. And when I talk to people, this does come up in conversation that kind of is a deal breaker for people going forward with God. And it's this question. How can the Old Testament God be the same as Jesus? Have you ever thought about this question? You look at the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. Testament just merely means agreement or covenant. And you look at the Old Testament, you look at the New Testament, and you see Jesus, and you see how he acts and who he was. But then you see in the Old Testament God, and it seems like they're different people. Another way maybe to term this question is, how can I believe in a God who seems bipolar. Um, and sometimes it can look like that. If you're reading the scripture full, you're seeing a God of wrath and vengeance, and then you're seeing a God of love and sacrifice, and you're going, I don't know how these two come together and what they look like. And I think it's a valid thing to think about. I think if you talk to anybody, it could potentially be a deal breaker. And I've talked to many Christians even that are going, I, I, New Testament, that's awesome. And I get that. And I get Jesus. And I'm, I'm down with Jesus. But man, Old Testament, I'm confused. I've talked with unbelievers and atheists that do the same and go, man, Jesus is awesome. I like Jesus. He, he's a hippie. You know, he was just cool and down with everything and full of love. And yeah, this is great. And, you know, just had this great message that's really good for the world. And I would question that right away because that's actually true. It is good for the world, but it, it, it actually caused a lot of harm to those disciples, like death. And so this message, although is the best news possible, it does have ramifications when you're dealing with an obstinate or, or indifferent people. 
And so you, you deal with these questions and you look at these comments and you're trying to say, how does this work? And if you're looking at the Bible as a whole story, which it is, it is one story. And so you have to look at it in its completion. And you have to judge and look at different cultures as you're asking questions. But let me say this. It is true that there are valid questions and maybe even some concerns that we need to tackle when dealing with the scripture. Now, in 35 minutes, I'm not going to be able to completely justify and answer all your questions. I'm going to say that in advance, especially in here and you're maybe an atheist in here or you, you do challenge things or you talk to people. I'm not going to give you every answer that's going to suffice every question that you have. And there's really no way to do that in 35 minutes anyway. But I do want to try to talk about this and not be afraid to approach some of these scary subjects in Christianity because that's really what we're doing with this series. It's okay to ask questions and let's reason together and let's talk and try to figure some of the things out. I want to show you a couple of scriptures that I'm referring to and just get the elephant out of the room. Joshua chapter 7 verse 24 and we're diving right into the story so there's a lot of context but people will pull apart certain scriptures and paint God in this malicious way. By using things like this. It says this. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And you read that and go, oh, okay. Um, God is love. Jesus loves me. This, how do we stone? Like, so, you start to bring some questions. Let me give you another one. Numbers 15, in the Old Testament specifically, says this. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Sticks. And those who found him gathering six brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him. Amen. Right? What? what? You ever hear people that shout out Amen. In church, and it doesn't work. You shouldn't say it then, because "Amen" means "so be it." Like, don't don't do that. Make it a point to do it at the right time. <laughs> it's really interesting, and there's there's many other scriptures that have these references and these seems that seem like okay. God's punishing, but the the punishment doesn't seem. It seems like it way is really harsh, and outweighs the crime. And so how can we believe in a loving God that seems so malicious? Or how can I bring into some kind of understanding and congruency between what I see in the New Testament with Jesus and in the Old Testament with God? How do I do that? And, and I think when we're looking at the Bible as a whole, there are some answers and some understanding we can get to. My six-year-old son 
Um, he, his name's Jackson. He's a high-functioning autistic. And so he always asks us if we don't get what he's saying. He says, do you need some understand? It's my favorite thing he says. Do you need some understand? Um, I think his teacher's trying to say, do you want to understand me? And do you need some understand? And I feel like some of these scriptures you go, I, I need some understand. Because I'm struggling here. And especially if you're seeking God or trying to make sense, you're going, okay, I, I don't understand. This is not working. And I think it's valid. But I think there is answers. And I think there's a way we can understand. Context helps. Understanding culture helps. And seeing the Bible as one big story helps greatly because it is. It's not a bunch of little stories to make us feel good or give us morals. There's one underlining story God is building and ultimately it leads to redemption. Now, if you've ever looked at or read one of the most famous atheists nowadays is Richard Dawkins. And in his book, The God Delusion, here's what he says about the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, I can't say it, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And he, he looks at the Old Testament, looks at scriptures like this and goes, this is what I see. He looks at things like Abraham going to sacrifice his son and go, that's child abuse. What is it that I'm seeing? And when you pull apart the scripture, the theologically that's called isogee. So I take out a portion and I take out this portion and I take out this portion in order to come up with a story of my own. You can paint God in a certain picture like that. If you don't know, Thomas Jefferson actually had a New Testament. And because he didn't believe in any of the supernatural, he took out, literally cut out all of the supernatural parts of the New Testament to create his own testament to say, these are good morals and truths, but I don't believe, I'm materialistic, I'm naturalistic, so I don't believe in any supernatural things. And we can do that. We can pull apart, not look at the whole story, but pull apart elements to paint a picture of what we think God looks like. And, and I will say this, if you're not intellectually honest and looking at the whole of Scripture for the whole story, that is easy to do. Because ultimately, and all of this is five, series, five weeks we've been talking about, I want to believe what I don't believe. And you can almost end it with an with a, with a exclamation point that says this. You can answer every question as best as possible. But see, the mind will ultimately convince and rationalize what the heart wants. You'll never be able to fully answer every question, although I think there we should try. But ultimately, if my heart wants to not believe, then I am going to come up with any way to make it look like 
God is a, a certain way or the story is a certain way without looking at the picture of a whole. Let me give you a great example. I, I love Christmas time. Any, any Christmas? Yeah. Woo. And it's a happy time for the most part. One of my favorite Christmas movies is Elf. Has anybody seen this movie, Elf? It's so great. What's your favorite color? Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? I love Elf. Now, let me show you the story of Elf. If you've seen the movie, you know the whole story. You understand the character of Will Ferrell, the Elf. Let me show you the trailer in case you haven't seen this to give you an idea of what this looks like. New Line Cinema proudly presents a little holiday story. One Christmas Eve, Santa Claus got an unexpected gift of his own. What in the name of Sam Hill? 30 years later. Let's recite the code of the elves, shall we? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Buddy's discovering who he really is. You're not like the rest of us. I was sure when you cracked six feet that it would come up. My bad. You're not an elf. Now, he's taking a journey to find the family he's never known in a place where he finally fits in. Boy. And nothing's going to stop him. Sorry, your car's pretty. Will Ferrell is elf. What's your name? Does someone need a hug? God! Ah, nutcracker! Catch the holiday spirit. Just trying to hug you! If you've seen this movie, you know that the good character, Elf, Buddy the Elf, he's a good guy. They paint this picture of him even bringing a family together, doing a great job. Now, there are people in this world who I appreciate, that have so much time on their hands. And they create movie trailers of recut movies with a little bit of a twist. So let me show you the recut version of Elf. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs? Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Excuse me. I'm here to see a Walter Hobbs. Dad! I walked all day and night to find you. Uh, you look like you came from the North Pole. That's <laughs> exactly where I came from. It's a little complicated, but it's nothing Honey. that we can't handle. What? He thinks he's an elf. I'm sorry, what? But you didn't know I was born. So I found you. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. You get the hell out of here. This kind of game. What do you want? Some money? No. I just wanted to meet you. I thought you might want to meet me. What I got you out there. He's certifiably insane. Looks like a Christmas tree. He's probably just referring to a state of childlike dependency. What, what are we gonna 
do. We can't, we can't leave him alone. What he needs is to be nurtured. They were just having a little fun. Fun? So felonies are fun now. Introduce him to Emily and Michael. Go away! Once he comes to terms with reality, he should drop the whole health thing and move on with his life. I can't go to sleep unless I get tucked in. All right, uh, let's get it over with. I'm Buddy the Elf. Isn't that amazing? There's, there's Frozen, there's Scary Poppins, Mary Poppins. There's some good ones you should watch. It's really interesting. Dumb and Dumber, there's a really good Dumb and Dumber one. But it proves my point, and we know this to be true, that if we, I suggest, if we pull something out, we can create whatever we want. That's the key. Whatever we want to create. Now, that doesn't mean there's not valid questions. And if you're watching that, you think that's what Elf is about. I think people would come and go, yeah, no, right? That's not the picture that is fully painted when you watch the film. Have you ever watched the film would be a good question. And I think when you're dealing with some of the questions and some of these things, and really all the questions, it's like, do you really understand the story of the Bible? Do you understand what the gospel is? Do you understand that you can create whatever ultimately you want? And I think there's a reason why you would want to create a capricious, malicious God at the end of the day in my heart. There are answers to some of these questions that, again, they're not going to fully suffice and they lead to more questions, which we don't have time to hit, but I'd love to talk if you still want to talk and converse. It's beautiful. We have in our church a uh, daily devotional we call Starter. And we have great people that are going to talk the rest of this week about these topics. And so you can continue to talk about this. We love getting in the scripture together and, and tackling some of these things. We're not afraid because we think God is true. And in the end, we can understand him if we want to. But I think you look at the verse like in Joshua and you see this guy Achan. And we see them bring Achan in front of the people. And his wife and his donkey and his oxen, his tent, everything. They stone him and burn him. And we go, that is a horrible thing. And God allowed that. With just that instance, looking at it, without looking at the context. Again, not only the context and the culture of what was happening, but the context of the whole Bible. The Bible is separated into an Old Testament and New Testament, or better term, Old Covenant and a New Covenant. The old covenant was made with a man named Abraham to create a people that he is setting apart, not ultimately just to set apart one culture and tribe better than everyone else, but to bring in the seed of a Messiah. This is what all the prophets talk about. This is what everybody talks about, that all of the law, everything is ultimately pointing to a Messiah that is going to deliver us completely from our sin and create a new heart within us. All of the picture is pointing to something. But in that context, you're dealing with a culture. So let me just give you some quick, maybe some understanding or, or, or answers to why would God allow this? First of all, what you didn't read, because we just jumped right into the story of Achan, is before that, they had just conquered Jericho miraculously. And God did this amazing work. And all of them were amazed at what God did just with sound and what God was able to use to break down the walls of Jericho and for them to defeat them. Well, right after that, God said, listen, I don't want you to grab all the silver and gold for yourself. It belongs to me, my temple ultimately, and it needs to go there. You don't need to take the possessions for 
for yourself. But one person named Achan did, and he hid it, and he kept it in his tent because he's thinking, well, we'll see if this works out. If not, I'm going to do my own thing. It was a very selfish endeavor, and ultimately, he stole from God. He robbed God. Now, you might say, well, gosh, okay, he robbed God, but then God killed him? Like, this is crazy. Well, let me, let me say this. They go immediately from Jericho into battle. This person had sinned, and they go into battle, and they go against this tribe or this place called Ai. And at Ai, they send just a couple thousand troops. They're like, we can take care of these guys, no, no problem. They come running out, and they lose about six, 36 people, die. And God comes back, and Joshua is on his knees crying to God and going, wait, what? We just destroyed Jericho. We couldn't take care of these measly guys? What happened, God? I thought you were with us. And God didn't say, well, that was my will. God said, there's sin in your camp. You went against what I told you to do. Someone robbed against me, and 36 people died by the hands of the enemy because you went against what I told you to do. So Joshua goes tent to tent to find out, like, who is, what's going on here? And finally gets to Achan, and it comes out. And God says, you got to take care of this. And you might say, that seems so harsh and so crazy. And I think on the, on the outset, for us, that does seem harsh because we don't really deal with punishment very well. Now, we have capital punishment for people that kill people and murder people. Well, in a way, he caused 36 people to die. And so God declared, we've got to get rid of this. Like, this cannot happen. Because here's what God is trying to do. In that culture, in that time, they didn't have their wandering in the wilderness. They didn't have prison system, and they didn't have all of these things ready. It was a different culture. See, in that culture, if they came Fast forward to us today and said, oh, wait, somebody who kills 36 people and robs against a whole group of people, commits treason, if you will, we're going to put them in jail for the rest of their life. If somebody transplanted from that culture to ours, they would go, that's sick. That's appalling to make someone go to prison for the rest of their life. It's much better just to deal with it than for them to go to prison. See, it's different cultures, it's different perspectives, it's different, not even just knowledge, like we're more enlightened in some ways, we're more barbaric in some of the things that we do, if you really understand culture and what was happening. But ultimately, God was saying, I am trying to create a people that are holy, which means set apart, different, unique from all other nations, because that's where I'm going to bring my Messiah. God is looking in the future and he's saying, this is like cancer. We've got to kill it and pull it out now. Now, to us emotionally going, God, that seems harsh, but you have to understand God is trying to do something with the people, and he's got to get rid of that right now. You go to the other one, and you see in Numbers, where a guy's just picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Well, again, in context, the Sabbath was a holy day. There was 10 commandments. God narrowed everything down to 10 commandments from a slave people that didn't know anything and we're kind of doing everything their own way. He said, here's 10. One thing, keep this day holy because it is trusting in me and faith that I will provide for you. And somebody who knew and understand this is what all of us were doing set apart to go and commit this sin and say, I don't trust God. I'm going to do things my own way. And God says, we got to take care of this now because I'm trying to create a people. Now, I think you see in Scripture Anytime there is a harsh punishment, 
like an immediate death, God judges right away. It is, I, I would say, always on the heels of God showing himself in some miraculous or, or dynamic way that is not normal. So in the case of this person committing this sin on the Sabbath, they had just finished seeing, and these people had seen the Red Sea part swallow up Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. And they saw the power of God. Let me tell you this. The power of God comes with the presence of God. But because God is holy, you know what else comes with the presence of God? His presence not just brings power for us to do dynamic things, but also judgment. Because sin cannot be in the presence of God. He is holy. He is different. And so the same thing. Jericho falls down and then this guy decides to go against God. Let me give you an example where you say, well, that's just Old Testament. Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 5. Verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Not a big deal. Like, I'm just going to give you 10% to the church or 20%. Not a big deal. Except he lied and told them it was the full amount. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart and have not lied to man, but to God? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last. And look what happens. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for this much. And she said, yeah, it was that much for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon the whole, all of those who heard of these things. And you go, exactly. God is just maniacal. He's mean. Look, Old Testament news says, you're right. It's the same person. You're, you're not understanding the whole story. In the Old Testament, God is creating a culture and a people that are set apart, that are different from everybody else. And he's crafting in them and having to work on a people. In the New Testament, he's crafting a church. But listen, in all these circumstances, in the New Testament, right after we read this, it says there was great fear that came upon the church and all were healed that came to the apostles. God's signs and wonders are moving so much as powers that there's this level of accountability that Jesus says, too much is given, much is required. He says, not many of you should want to be teachers because there's a greater judgment for those who teach. And that shouldn't make us go, okay, I don't want to get close to God because that's selfish. We, we need more of God. But at the same time, you need to understand with God's power, as Spider-Man would say, comes great responsibility. With God's presence, listen, it comes out of, as G said, love, but God is not just love. He is also holy. In fact, we read in the book of Isaiah, this prophet, if you don't know anything about Isaiah, is a very intellectual, prestigious, great speaker, known by everybody in Israel 
the man of God, just this amazing person. And in Isaiah 6, he gets a glimpse of who God is. And it says he sees these angels around God, not crying out, love, 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 justice, 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 grace, 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 but crying out, holy, holy, holy. And in the Hebrew vernacular, they don't have like holy, holiest, holierist. Like they don't have like these words. Every time they use a word subsequently next to it, it's describing a greater amount. So there's another, there's another instance of, of, a, of a king in the, in the uh, I think, the book of Numbers, and uh, they talk about a pit, and they said they fell into a pit pit, which means the greatest pit, a huge pit. And this is the concept. When the, Jesus will say, truly, truly, I say to you, he, he's not just stuttering, right? He doesn't have a stutter. He's trying to explain this. Listen to this, but this is seriously true. Listen to this. But rarely does the Bible have three. But right now, singing according to Scripture, Angels going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He is so set apart, so unique, so different. Like the sun, we don't have another sun that we orbit right now. And the sun brings life and goodness and without it, we would all die. And yet the closer you get to it, it can also consume you as a fire. And this level of holiness, I I, I liken it. You've ever seen the movie, um, The Martian? You ever seen that? And this guy gets stuck on Mars. And as long as he has his suit, because he doesn't have in his body and himself the ability to live outside of this suit because the atmosphere, it's a different kingdom. It's a different way. His body cannot live according to that way. So they have to design a suit. And as soon as his suit gets punctured, like he's got to tape it up because he cannot live that way. God, and this isn't a perfect metaphor, but it is, God, I believe, built in the law in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, a suit for us to be able to live in his kingdom, to be able to have a part of his atmosphere. But his ultimate goal wasn't to perfect a suit, but to get us out of the suit so that our bodies, ourselves can be with God without being fully consumed. By God. He is of a different kingdom, a different atmosphere. He is spirit. He is holy, 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 altogether different. And listen, if you don't understand that or even want to understand that, you put him on our level. And as soon as I see something that seems unjust, I look at it and I become the judge of God. And here's the question Does God, if he exists, have the right to punish people? And I think if you're honest, you'd say, well, absolutely. So why do we get so upset when he does it? Because he doesn't do it our way. Maybe we don't understand fully, but hopefully you can understand a little bit. But don't focus like the recut version of Elf. Don't focus on those aspects when you don't see the whole picture. Because the whole picture is God has established a new covenant. But I think at the end of the day, if our mind rationalizes what our heart wants, it's easy to go, I don't want you, God, because here's the deal. I understand if I get you, you're God now, you're Lord. I want to be Lord. At the bottom of it, no question can fulfill that because it is a lordship issue at the bottom. I don't trust you to run my life. I want to run my life. I want to do my own thing. And a lot of apologetics, I was listening to uh, 
a Harvard professor talking about struggling with God, but at, at the end, he finally committed his life and gave his life to God. And he said, really, at the end of the day, there were good answers to a lot of the questions, and I had a ton of questions. But at the end of the day, the reason why I didn't want to really give my life to God and the reason why I could justify what my heart wanted was because I wanted to be promiscuous. I didn't want anybody telling me I couldn't be. I didn't want somebody saying no to me. And yet, if you really understood who God is, and let me say this, and we've talked about this in good and evil and suffering. It's hard to really be amazed by the grace and love of God if you don't understand the holiness of God. What the holiness of God is not justify as to why I don't want him, but it actually justifies as to why I can't have him because I am wrong. I am evil apart from him. And that humility and recognition when I see that he then became human and bled and died and became shamed. Now, because he didn't have to do that, he chose to do that. Now, I get a new earth suit by him by believing and trusting in him for what he's done. And it's amazing to me, the grace of God that he would bestow to me. Not, I'm so good, I can't believe God, you would be bad, but I am wicked and bad. And we see this in, the, in Romans. If you think the Old Testament is harsh, Paul says, Romans 3.23, everyone in here, all have sinned and falling short of the glory of God. But here's the answer. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, the things that I've accrued by my sin is death. That is so harsh. That is a harsh punishment. I deserve death for my sin. Now that seems harsh and mean because we don't really understand punishment or even get it. Man, I grew up, I never got spanked as a kid. I got whooped. You know the difference? Now, I know white people conventionally stereotype, it's okay, Timmy. Like, no. Like, my parents were like, don't you ever. Like, I mean, it was the worst spanking I ever got. I yelled at my mom. I ran in the door. Said, She said, hey, come take out the trash. I said, no. I didn't know my dad was there. I don't remember everything after that. He came, blindsided me. I don't remember anything after that. But let me say this. I know and I knew my dad loved me, but I had a healthy fear of him. Because I knew there were consequences to my evil actions. Because he had to give justice. If I hit my sister and beat her up and he didn't give justice, he's not loving her very well. And there was a healthy fear, not a bad fear, but a healthy fear, a reverence that I had of my dad that kept me from a world of hurt. And that's the point of the law. Ultimately, what God is saying, you can trust me. Because I will become sin for you. And I love that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, who Jesus, to be sin, who didn't even know sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news of God. Now, wrap up. I, I want to ask one of our artists here, um, great actress, Crystal. Where's Crystal at? She she here? Um, She's got a spoken word talking about the heart. I want you to come up, walk fast. And uh, if you don't know Crystal, she does amazing, her, writes her own one-woman shows. She's uh, in theater, and she does a great job at our church. I asked her to write a, a spoken word. Come and share that with us. 
Hey, 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 wait, where, where are you going? Slow, slow down. Ah, Look, I know, I know that we talked about handling her differently. I had to. I had to. She can't keep talking to you, treating you like that, like, like you're nothing. Yeah, I know what we talked, but she, you let these people put their foot on your neck. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Every time. When you let me captain this ship, that never happened. It did not ever happen. Not once. I've always protected you. Who told you that? Who told We do not have anger issues. It's not an issue. It is an effective strategy that keeps, me, that keeps us safe. And I'm tired of breaking. And your newfound mantra to just give it all to Jesus is like conceding defeat. And I will not give up my throne. Everyone in this culture knows that following your heart is wisdom. It's the way to freedom. That following anything or anybody else will chain you, Crystal. It'll make you sterile and logical and linear. And you're going to start to love graph paper and working on Excel spreadsheets and wearing sensible shoes. you sensible. What do you have on now? Say it. Flats. See, it's already starting. So let me tell you what we're going to do. Okay, you're going to let me do my job and protect us. Okay, you're going to kick out this stupid carpenter who's been squatting in our basement. I don't trust him. And I'm going to tell you who to love and when it's safe to love. And that will never change. I'm your heart, baby girl. I love you. Now sit down and shut up. The mind can justify what the heart wants. And I think if you really today, if you realize, you know, my son broke his arm this week and it's like, anything can happen, right? And it's not a fear tactic, but you, you are mortal. And one day you're going to stand in the presence of God and are you going to be able to say, why did you do this? Who are you? Or are you going to be like what happened to Isaiah. He saw the picture of God and his response wasn't, that's my homeboy, that's the man upstairs. I hate that terminology, by the way. Because it brings God on our level and we forget that he's God. We lose the reverence, which we lose the amazing part of the grace. No, he, he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm amongst the people of unclean lips. And God doesn't say, yeah, that's right. God comes as a coal, and it says he heals him. And then he says, who can I send? And Isaiah says, send me. This response to actually seeing God face to face. I mean, it's easy for us, just like on YouTube or on Facebook, it's easy to comment, like in the comfort of your own home. Ah, you're bad, you're evil, I don't care, and bring scandal to people. But man, when you're face to face with somebody, you're probably not so courageous, or if you are, you're just a jerk. And so it's easy to hide behind that and, okay, God doesn't see me. No, He does, and one day you will face Him. And do you want to face Him? Knowing that he sent his son to love you, even though he didn't have to, and he sent his son to 
take care of you and to become sin for you and pay that death penalty that you should have paid. And you're going to go, I can't believe God you would do this. No, no, you're cowering and you're bowing. Hopefully you're bowing out of love, not now, just out of fear. Because you know you didn't submit your life to him. As I close, I love this quote from an author named Philip Yancey. He's written a book called Disappointment with God. Great book. I highly recommend it. If you've ever struggled with some of these concepts. In an article I found, I love his perspective. He says, let's not just look at God and he should be the Santa Claus in the sky giving me whatever I want. He says, let's think about God's perspective. And he says this, in reading the prophets, I cannot help but envision a counselor with God as a client. So God's on the, on, the, on the couch and the counselor's talking. The counselor gets out one stock sentence and he says this, tell me how you really feel. And then God takes over. I'll tell you how I feel. I feel like a rejected parent. I find a baby girl lying in a ditch near dead. I take her home and make her my daughter. I clean her, pay for her schooling, feed her. I dote on her, clothe her, hang jewelry on her. Then one day she runs away. I hear the reports of her debased life. When my name comes up, she curses me. I tell you how I feel. I feel like a jilted lover. I found my lover thin and wasted, abused, but I brought her home and made her beauty shine. She is my precious one, the most beautiful woman in the world to me. I, and I lavish on her gifts and love, and yet she forsakes me. She pants after my best friends, my enemies, anyone. She stands by the highway and under every spreading tree and worse than a prostitute, she pays people to have relations with her. I feel betrayed. I feel abandoned. Have you ever thought about any of this from God's perspective? He created everything good. And then the fall came and we botched it up. And he had a plan of redemption that he worked through the ages through the law, but then ultimately pointed and fixed on a Messiah and a Savior. And one day he'll restore everything to completion. But if you've ever read some of the prophets like Hosea, he, he calls us like a lover that has abandoned him, forgets him. He's so loving and kind and he is jealous like a good husband would be if their wife was flirting with someone else. That's a righteous judgment, righteous jealousy. He wants you and he loves you. And listen, if it ended there and it was just a mantra, then that's good. But he proved his love in that while we were sinners, he died for us. What a loving God. I might not understand all the ways. I don't get the culture and the context completely. But God's pointing to his son. Are we going to respond to that son and that love? Or are we going to allow our minds to rationalize what our heart wants? And God's saying, come to me, all you are weary. I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. That surpasses every kind of understanding. I want to ask you to stand with me as we close and pray. And 
we're a little long, but I wanna, I wanna respond and ask our worship team to come up. And we're gonna have our, what we call our one-to-one team up here, ready to pray with you. If you have anything to pray for, then we're here. Let's turn this place into a place of prayer. We have communion tables here. If you wanna personally engage God in communion, we have cards that you can fill out, prayer request cards, if you wanna know more about our relationship with God. But we're also just gonna have a time of response, reflection. We're here for Him. It's not all about us. It's about Him ultimately. And when we fixate on Him, who He is and what He has demonstrated in His Son and given to us, the joy in the life that comes is phenomenal. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son. God, our hearts forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you bring justice so we don't have to retaliate. You bring justice so we don't have to despair. And you bring love in the form of your son. Let us give up our life for a God who gave up his out of love and do it out of love in Jesus' name.